While you're going to Proverbs, um, Tuesday night, we're going to be back here for Discipleship in the Home, our first meeting. Uh, here, here. here, here, in Living Hope, this building, this very building. And, um, yeah, we, we may still have some people out sick, but we'll Zoom as well. Uh, we'll, we'll put up a Zoom, and um, if I don't put up a Zoom, somebody remind me to. Uh, but we'll do that, and then uh, should be an hour to an hour and a half. Um, I'm not looking to go all all night. Um, but be praying uh, toward that time, and also along those lines, um, keep your eyes peeled for stuff about family in the Book of Proverbs. We'll probably do an, an evening on uh, in the next few weeks. We'll probably do an evening on. Just everything that Proverbs has to say about family, uh, parenting. I mean, the whole thing is framed as a uh, piece of advice from a father to a son. You know, so kind of in the very form of the of the book is the father son relationship. All right. Well, Proverbs chapter one, verse one says this: "The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel." And so we're gonna just. I'm going to give sort of an overview, not really an overview of the book. If you want a really good overview of the book in terms of just the content of it and the structure and form and, and basics, go to do the look up the Bible Project video on Proverbs. It's excellent. It's about as concise an introduction as you could get. And it actually touches on pretty much everything that you need to know in some basic form about the book of Proverbs. It's, it's always remarkable to me how, how concise and distilled those are. Uh, it's really, really cool. So look at that for a, uh, for a good overview. I'm not going to bumble my way through an overview that would take like four times as long and not be as good. Um, but what I do want to do is, is set up our time in the book of Proverbs, but even more than that, our time in the, in the wisdom literature. So after Proverbs, after this month of Proverbs, we're going to be going into Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon. Um, <laughs> You have to say it like the Song of Solomon. <laughs> you have to kind of, you have to kind of tee-hee whenever you mention that book. Uh, those are all books known as wisdom literature. Actually, I don't think the Song of Solomon is classified as wisdom literature, but it was. It is grouped together with those other books, and it was written by Solomon, um, along with Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be surveying those books, but we're going to be spending a chunk of time in Proverbs. Uh, so we're going to do a flyover of, of those other ones. Uh, we'll also be in Job. I think the way it's going to work out is we might be in Job uh, when Lent is beginning. We're not really a liturgical church, but it kind of is cool when stuff like that lines up. Um, repenting and dust and ashes. Ash Wednesday falls the week that we're going to do Job. We're also going to be in Esther uh, during this time, during Purim. Um, not necessarily intentional, but it's kind of cool that it worked out that way. So it's important, I think, when you're studying Proverbs to, to at least make a nod toward Ecclesiastes and even Job, because they're all known as wisdom literature. And if you just had Proverbs, I don't think you'd get a, a very full pictured glimpse of what wisdom literature is actually going for, or even what wisdom is. Um, 
So it's important to take these books as a set of wisdom books, and that's really what we're going to talk about, just give the backdrop for wisdom, uh, go into Solomon's life some, but just set up kind of what is wisdom in the grand story of Scripture? Uh, why is it important? Why is there a whole set of books known as the wisdom books? Um, but like I said, it's important to balance out Proverbs with the other wisdom books. And if you take any of those wisdom books, particularly Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, if you take any of them by itself, you can get a little out of, out of balance. <laughs> uh, if you take Ecclesiastes by itself, you might end up, um, you, know, you might end up down a, a pretty dark road. If you take Job by itself, you might end up with some pretty complex philosophical questions. If you take Proverbs by itself, you might be a little disappointed when things don't turn out the way that you thought. All right, so it's important to take all these uh, as one. So it says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, a proverb is a short saying, okay? So not all liter- wisdom literature is made up of Proverbs, but Proverbs are one way of composing wisdom literature, if that makes sense. Some of it's just poetry. But a proverb itself, the book is made up primarily of Proverbs. That middle section of the book, probably from chapter 10 to somewhere in the 20s, the Bible Project will tell you exactly where, um, are basically a, a big compilation of more or less standalone Proverbs, these little terse, condensed sayings that express some sort of aspect of a truth about the reality of life. So these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, before I go on into the book of Proverbs, I just want to point out, well, first of all, I want to pray for our time in the Word. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come and um, open our eyes uh, to behold wondrous things in your Word and uh, guide our time, Lord. Uh, speak to our hearts Um, Lord, you are able to communicate truth and to minister truth to our hearts uh, far better than I or anyone else is able to. And so we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, meet us here in this time in your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Before we get into Proverbs and wisdom literature and Solomon, I just want to point out that it says Solomon, son of David. Proverbs comes right after Psalms. And the two really do go hand in hand. Um, there used to be floating around, like the, in the Gideon's New Testament, they would also include two Old Testament books, and it was Psalms and Proverbs. Usually if you get a New Testament, they stick the Psalms and Proverbs in there. They're, they're that important. But they really go together. Psalms is largely, generally, David's book. All right? Proverbs is Solomon's book, and they follow on each other. Solomon is the son of David, and these are his uh, findings about life. We can't really separate the two. And in fact, you don't get through the first chapter of Proverbs before you start hearing echoes of the Psalms. All right, Psalm 1, you remember, is the introduction to the book of Psalms. It's known as a wisdom psalm. And it is talking about, uh, it's, it's really advice for how to live. And it says, don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly don't sit in the way of the sinner, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scoffers. Well, here in Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. 
Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. It's the very same thing that, that Psalm 1 is saying, right? Look at verse 18. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their lives. I'm sorry, I meant 15. That was what I just read. Then you go on in Psalm, Psalm 2. What's that all about? Psalm 2 is really about the fear of the Lord, which is here in verse 7 in Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's really the motto for the whole book. We'll talk about that as we go along. The fear of the Lord. Matt gave a great teaching to the men this morning on fear. Both not, not fearing. What does scripture say that we're not to fear? And then fearing the Lord is, is what we should fear. Uh, and what does that look like? And, and, and why do we do that? Um, I actually put that up on our podcast. If, you, if any of you want to go who weren't there. Uh, if any of you want to go. Listen to that, because it will be really enriching to our study of Proverbs if you go and listen to his teaching on the fear of the Lord. Um, it was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of people who were there. I've been chewing on it all day. You know, kind of wish we could just talk about it tonight. Um, Psalm 2 talks about the fear of the Lord, right? Um, why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? These are the scoffers in Psalm 1. Here it says in uh Proverbs 1, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. They cast their cords off and break their bonds asunder. Look at verse 26. Or verse, uh, in Psalm 2, it says, The Lord, he who sits in the heavens, laughs. Here in verse 26, it says, I also will laugh at your calamity. When you and your own counsels come to ruin, well, there you go. That was bound to happen. All right, so here we see in Proverbs chapter 1, two truths that Psalm has, Psalms has, has already primed us to hear. And the, the, the truth from Psalm 1 is this, the way to live, how we should live, is discovered in obedient relationship to God. Right? His delight is in the law of the Lord. He obeys, he hears it, he meditates on it, he lives according to the law of God. That's how, that's how you find your way to blessing true life as it's meant to be lived. Rather than from the foolishness of those who are experts in getting and doing what they want. Right? That's really what he's talking about. The foolish are, they run around and they, they bend everything in life toward what they want to do and what they want to be. And they, te- they teach others how to do that as well. So the counsel of the ungodly is how you can get what you want, how you can get ahead. And, and Psalm 1 says that's, that's the path to ruin. That's the path to the wind, that the, or the chaff that the wind drives away. The ungodly, they will not stand in the judgment. But those who are wise, they put their trust in the Lord. And they obey him and carry out a relationship. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And that's an intimate relational word. It says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's an intimate, close relationship. And that's the way to live. Psalm 2, the primary truth from that is that the fear is really that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Serve the Lord with fear, it says, and rejoice with trembling. Take refuge in him. Right? Come to him, lay aside your own agendas, lay, lay down your rebellion, come to the Lord, submit to him, and you will find blessing. You will find blessing. So Proverbs is really about the same thing. How to how live a blessed life. But rather than the David method of working it out in, in direct relationship with God, in worship, in these songs, right? Solomon works it out in uh, experience, okay? The experience of life, the practical day-to-day experience of life. And so the book is comprised of these, these sayings, these proverbs. Uh, but the first nine chapters, before you get to the sayings, the first nine chapters are really just about wisdom in general, the, the, the role of wisdom. All right, so we will look at some topics as we go on through the, through the next three weeks after this. Uh, we'll look at some topics that recur a lot through those proverbs, that proverb section. Uh, because you do, see, you know, you, you can group together different themes, and uh, we'll do two or three of those themes in the Proverbs. Uh, but for now, I want to look at really the first nine chapters, what these are saying. Uh, but even more than that, kind of the backdrop to these first nine chapters, which is Solomon, the kingdom, what is wisdom, what is wisdom literature. Uh, and that'll give us, I think, a good uh, foundation uh, to really continue reading through this book. Um, so go to First Kings, and we'll talk about Solomon for a little bit. First Kings chapter three, verse three says, "Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there." For that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand bird offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. This is right after Solomon has been uh, enthroned in his kingdom. You know, there was a, a brief attempted coup that Solomon quelled. And now the kingdom, you know, he's on the throne. And uh, this is one of the first things that we read about his uh, life on the throne. The Lord appears to him in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I... And that's important. I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. That's another important part that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And the Lord, it says, it it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. He says, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? Solomon says, 
what I really need is wisdom. <laughs> little child, I don't know how to go out or come in. And that's really kind of a, a Hebrew metaphor for the stuff of life, just going through life, going out, coming in. In Deuteronomy, it says that we're to teach our children while we're going out and coming in. <laughs> and so he ends up giving him wisdom, great wisdom, far surpassing anyone else. Uh, but then he adds into it, he says, I would have thought you would have asked maybe for some stuff. Because you didn't ask for stuff, you asked for wisdom. So I'm going to give you wisdom and stuff. I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. Um, so he's asking for wisdom. To rule the people of God, and, and it's, again, it says God is very pleased with this. Yes, that's, that's way to go, Solomon. I like that. I like that attitude. So then go to chapter 4, verse 29. There's a, a really interesting story where it, it's kind of a demonstration of his wisdom right after that, which is where the two uh, prostitutes come in and they bring the baby and... They're arguing over whose baby it is. They, they both had a baby. One died and one was alive. And they're arguing, saying, she stole my baby. And, and he just, he has a, the, you know, in his wisdom, he gets right to the heart of the matter, you know. And is about to, yeah, that, that's a great story. Just a demonstration of really, when we're talking about wisdom, right? And this is, I think, is an important thing to, to realize. In, in the Western mindset, right, we have philosophy, which is, Philosophia, which is the love of wisdom, right? So you would think that, oh yeah, wisdom is about philosophy. It's not. It's not about kind of Western philosophy, which is primarily oriented toward reason, right? Rationalization, um, getting to the grand, uh, the the big ideas, right? Plato was interested in the in the forms. What is real, real? Like, we see all this stuff, but there's reality beyond that. You know, there's the ideal realm, and what is that? And so uh, Western philosophy tends toward abstraction, okay? Uh, But Hebrew wisdom is very concrete, right? It's it's obsessively observational, right? Looking at life, seeing how things actually play out in a particular time, particular place and making and and seeing what what is the ordering principle behind all this right that's what that's what hebrew the the hebrew quest for wisdom is about that's as as good as i can explain it without um confusing myself and everybody else so here's kind of the summary of all this uh chapter 20 or verse 29 chapter 4 God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Haman, Calchul and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame uh, was in all the surrounding nations he also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So there you go. Part of, his, part of his wisdom, it wasn't all of it, 
right? Wisdom isn't just being able to write Proverbs, but part of his wisdom was demonstrated in his ability to compile and probably even concoct some of these sayings based on a deep understanding of the way life works. But then it says this, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. So this sounds more like a biologist than a philosopher. <laughs> but that's what, that's, that gives you an idea of what Hebrew wisdom is about. It's, it's primarily not rational, but experiential. The more you experience, the more you observe, the more you take in, the, the, more, uh, the more raw material you have for understanding and, and knowing uh, what wisdom is, what's wise. All right, so we'll come back to Solomon in a minute. So wisdom. What is, what is wisdom? Um, this is the most basic and helpful definition I've found. Wisdom is the skill of living. The skill of living. Or you could say even the art of living. All right, because wisdom and Proverbs isn't coming out with formulas like scientific formulas. Like, if this, then this. Always. Right? And it's clean. Right? If you add this compound to this compound, this is what you get every time. If you're not in space or something. Proverbs are not formulas that always work out. Proverbs are generalizations about the way life generally goes. Um, so it's the, really the art of living. Because living is not a science. Living is an art. Um, it is a practical knowledge that helps someone know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Okay, so it really is situational in a lot of ways. Right? And that's another difference. I think um, really when we think of philosophy, we think about things that kind of transcend situations. Right? Truths that are true no matter where you are. Right? And that's Good, but these are abstract things, and we try to get, get above situational things. But Hebrew, it's, uh, wisdom is very much about situational things. That's why the, the demonstration of Solomon's wisdom is like, all right, here's a crazy situation. Like, does that happen every day? Probably not. Two prostitutes come in. They both have a baby about the same age, look kind of similar. You know, it's a very specific situation. Right? And he, he was wise enough to speak to that exact situation. Right? And that's, a, that's an art. Right? That's being in touch with ordering principles, but man, knowing enough about so many different things, broad spectrum of things that have to come to, to bear on that situation. So knowing how to act and speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the abil- ability to avoid problems and... So avoid problems before they start and handle them when they happen. Handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to, and this is an interesting part of wisdom, the ability to interpret other people's speech or to interpret what other, other people's actions, right? Well, I see what you're saying, but in what you're saying, I hear what you mean. Right? Or I see what you're doing, but I know what that means. 
right? One of the Proverbs says, the purpose of a man's heart is like a deep water, and a man of understanding draws it out. Right? It's, a, it's deep and murky where, where people's real intentions are. But wisdom is being able to get and understand the real intentions that are down in that murky depths. So wisdom literature is aimed at helping or, or, or working toward and discovering the order that lies behind life. All right, here's this and here's this. They both happen. They, it seems strange that we live in a world where this could happen and also this because they seem contradictory. And yet they've both happened. So here's a righteous person and they've really prospered. Here's a righteous person and they've suffered immensely. If generally a righteous life is prosperous and long, but here we see a righteous person who has suffered immensely, what are we to make of that? What kind of order is there behind that? And wisdom seeks to find that order. It says here that he spoke of trees, the hyssop that grows out of the wall, beasts, birds, reptiles, fish. So it's, it's concrete, right? It's in, it's in the earth. It's made up of the stuff of earth. And it's, it's really based in experience. So wisdom literature seeks the order behind life as it's experienced. Okay? So we, the, the raw material, the raw data is experience. And we work from that experience into, all right, what is this telling us? What, what, where is order? Where is wisdom to be found here? How do we navigate through a life that is like this? Some things can be learned, wisdom says, uh, only through observation and experience. Right? Experience itself is a kind of wisdom. Right? Gray hair is honored simply because it's gray. It's It's aged. An aged person has experienced lots of things and therefore is coming from a place of deeper wisdom. Um, all right, so it seeks order. And I, said, I already said that sometimes experiences present, uh, present us with complexities that we don't know how to make sense of. Uh, but this comes up, we talked about this in the Psalms as well. Right. The Psalms give us one way to navigate those things. Well, we just have to constantly uh, tune our hearts to who God is. Right. And wisdom is a different kind of tuning. Like, well, yeah, you go out and you see life and it's complex. Here's some basic principles of life that can help you navigate that big mess. Right. So it's a different kind of tuning, but it's it's similar to the Psalms. Um, one important thing that comes up in these first nine chapters of Proverbs is, I think, a, a, a principle that we always need to keep in mind when we're talking about wisdom. Um, wisdom literature uh, oftentimes will point us back to kind of the, the founding of the earth, right? And so um, go to chapter... Go back to Proverbs and go to chapter 8. Uh, 
Well, let's, let's not go there yet. So let, let me just explain what I mean. So what, when God created the earth, and he created man in his image, and he placed him in the garden, and he gave them a task. He said, take dominion and rule over everything, right? Um, Solomon really does uh, reflect Adam in a lot of different ways, right? The way that he, he says, I've got a lot to rule, right? I have a lot of dominion here. I need some help. I could go off and just kind of rule according to the, the example that I have in all the worldly kings, but no, Lord, I need you to help me rule, right? This is the same as God receiving from, or Adam receiving from God instruction in how to take dominion and fill the earth and subdue it, right? He probably would have learned about birds and reptiles and the grass, right? If, if you're cultivating the earth, that's more than just, all right, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You know, God, that's not what God was telling Adam. They were like naming the creatures of the field and probably doing a lot of uh, early uh, botany and biology and all these kinds of things. And this is, what, this is what wisdom is. It's the ability to, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he created man in his image. The garden was a place that was well watered. It was ordered, right? God is very orderly in creation. He separates the light from the darkness, the land from the sea, all those kinds of things, male and female. And he says, this is good. And it's full of food, it's teeming with life, it's flourishing, it's, it's fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. There's natural beauty, there's riches. And the whole idea was that God would come down and, steward, and, and walk with mankind as man took dominion. And man was to eat of the tree of life and understand life and live life and, and steward the earth in the way that was in line with God's design. Um, so the garden is really the good life, life as it's intended, the blessed life, right? And this is where I think the wisdom literature can really come into our understanding of Scripture as a whole, the whole story of Scripture. A lot of times it's like, all right, we got this little blip that's the wisdom literature. That's kind of crazy. Some interesting ideas there. Now let's get back to the story of, like, God and the earth. But wisdom is – wisdom plays a key role in God uh, ruling over his people, and particularly man doing what he was created to do. Um, so go to chapter 3, Proverbs 3. So remember, God tells Solomon to ask him for something, he asks for wisdom, so that basically, so I can rule well. So I can take dominion well. So one big thing that you see in these first nine chapters of Proverbs. So listen to this. Uh, Solomon, I mean, this is, this is the Solomon that asked God for wisdom and how to rule. And he is exalting wisdom as like the highest of virtues. He says, blessed is the one, this is chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. The gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. 
It's better. It's more valuable. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. And that's shalom. And that's what Eden was. It was pure shalom. Solomon's name is shalom. It's from the same root. It's peace. He was to be, he was to establish peace in the earth. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. All right, so he says that and you go, oh, tree of life. I've seen that somewhere before. And then you go to chapter 8, verse 22. This is about, you know, Lady Wisdom who appears a few times in these first nine chapters. Verse 22, and she's speaking. This is wisdom speaking. It's personification for you literature people. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom was there. Order was there. The way it should be. The way you live was there at the beginning. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, So that the waters might not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. It's a beautiful poem about wisdom's role in creating the earth. And it's basically this. God knew, he knew how it all worked. He knew how it all fit together. I mean, just think about the created order. I mean, ever you watch Planet Earth or any, any nature documentary? I mean, it is staggering the way everything works together. Life on Earth. We don't even, be, we can't even begin to know how integrated and ordered and beautiful it all is. And that is all because God is wise. Right? He, he designed the human body. <laughs> he designed the human eye, which was famously like Leonardo da Vinci was like, I studied the eye and started thinking, you know, I think that there's a God. <laughs> when you get into like some of the complexities of creation, it's, it's very hard to remain someone who says, we, we evolved from, from goo, right? It's because of this. It's because it was God's wisdom. Okay, so wisdom is not philosophy. It's not not cunning necessarily. That might be a little part of it. But it's, it's a deep understanding of the unity and the order of things. 
It's kind of, the, it, it, it undergirds all of creation. It was in and through and woven into everything. And so this makes sense that Solomon says, hey, it's been here since the beginning. And if we go and we look at a tree, we'll see a little bit of it there. If we go and look at human relationships, we'll see a little bit of it there. If we go and look at any, everything, wherever you look, you're going to find some wisdom because it's, it's woven into everything. So Solomon really is a type of Adam. And when Solomon starts to set up the kingdom, and uh, you go to Ecclesiastes 2 also. It's a, an, another verse along these lines. 2 verse 4. Kind of explains some of the things that Solomon did. And they sound very much like Adam in the garden. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also, also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure. Um, so as he's setting up his kingdom, he's using Adam slash Eden language to describe Jerusalem, the city of God at that point. So the idea is that when Solomon asked God for wisdom, it pleased the Lord because that's what God has always had in mind. Hey, I know how this all works and I want to work with someone who wants to hear how it all works and live their life and exercise their dominion. I'm going to give them authority. And as they listen to me, they're going to learn how to exercise that authority in a way that taps into the wisdom and brings blessing and brings flourishing and fruitfulness into the earth. Because when you, when you live in alignment with wisdom, this is what you see in wisdom. When you find wisdom and, and align yourself to it, well, it's flourishing life, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. His delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by roses. You'll find yourself back in the garden, living the way that it was always meant to be lived. So Adam was endowed with that very same wisdom before he fell and had to leave the garden and, not, and then go toil Right? The curse was you're cut off from access to wisdom. And so now all work isn't going to be in line with created, the created order. It's going to be hard. And you're going to have to scratch out a living because you really don't know how things work. Isn't that amazing? To, to be out of the garden, to be cast out of the garden is to be cut off from access to wisdom. And so you cannot, you cannot carry out your God-given mandate in the way that, that brings forth blessing. And then we see in the rest of the book of Genesis how this plays out in human history. 
people build big things and they get angry at each other and kill each other. That's what happens when you're not living life according to wisdom. So wisdom is the skill of living, but you could, if you wanted to fill it out in sort of a, like a biblical, overall biblical theology definition of wisdom, where it fits, wisdom is the skill to take dominion and steward the earth in a way that brings forth blessing. All right? If you want to put the definition of wisdom in a biblical theological framework, what is, where does wisdom play a role in all this? Well, it's, it's the skill and the ability to take dominion according to our original calling. Uh, by the way, Solomon's the one that built the temple. David didn't build the temple. He had a little place where he met with God, but Solomon built the really glorious temple, which was outfitted and decorated with all sorts of garden imagery, pomegranates, even the two big pillars on the outside are the cherubim, right? Uh, Guarding the way to to the tree of life. All right, so you see what kind of what wisdom is and what wisdom literature is trying to get at. It's trying to get back into the garden. It's trying to get access to how do we live? How do we order? What is the order behind all this? How do we live out existence as God's human creation? How do we do that? <clears throat> and so then in, in verse 1-7 of Proverbs, it gives us the, the, the motto for the whole book, the, the center around everything, around which everything rotates. And that is, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it, it, that echoes through the book of Proverbs. It's also in Psalms. It's also in Job. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we want to get back to the garden. We want to tap into the order that was there, the ordering principles that were there when God made all this stuff. We have to fear him. Um, it's interesting to note that after Solomon's death, his son, which I think he had many sons, he had many wives, so it stands to reason that he had many sons. Um, one of those sons, the heir to the throne, uh, basically splits the whole kingdom because he listens to idiots and not to the old guys. I mean, the very, the, the very basic principle of don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. Listen to people who have some experience and who have some access to wisdom. Find those people. The kingdom splits. Rehoboam, it says, uh, let me read a little bit of it. First Kings 12. Verse 6. King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon and his father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? How should I use my authority? How should I, exercise, how should I take dominion here? And they said, if you'll be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, then when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. These guys know how it works. They've seen things. They've lived through some royal intrigue in their lives. If you read First and Second Samuel, you know what I'm talking about. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. 
and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke, uh, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the, the young men say, no, don't be a lightweight. Be a, be a real man, you know. Whip those people into shape. And so he's, all right, he speaks to the people. And it says, uh, and the, so the king did not listen to the people. Um, for it was a turn of affairs brought about to the Lord that he might fulfill his word. So essentially, then Jeroboam is able to use those threats to rally a, a bunch of people around him and go somewhere else and set up a, a, a different kingdom, a separate kingdom, and to keep people away from uh, Jerusalem. And Rehoboam didn't do himself any favors. Right? He did not win the favor of the people. But it says he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. So this is one way, way, they, one way that we can abandon the fear of the Lord, not live in the fear of the Lord. Um, and it's, it's rooted in, in foolish rebellion. Right? That's really what happened to Rehoboam, right? I'd rather listen to my buddies. Um, you know that dynamic. You know, those, you know that draw. We could probably all relate to that. I, I, I want to listen to the people that, you know, they speak my language and, they, and we've grown up together and... What do you guys think I should do? All right, that sounds good to me. Let's do it. Rather than the old guys. Um, so I think that's an interesting, you know, it's kind of a sad ending, just like m- much of Solomon's life, a pretty tragic ending. Um, this book that's written, my son, listen to me. My son, listen to me. Well, he didn't listen to him. And he took counsel with the ungodly. And he stood in the way of sinners. And he sat in the seat of scoffers. And... In a Psalm 2 sense, he threw off the shackles of the old wisdom and we're going to establish a new thing. And um, it, it led to ruin, not just for him, but for the whole people of God. <clears throat> um, but there are many other ways besides this, this listening to, you know, allowing yourself to be drawn away by the counsel of the ungodly, which, by the way, um, there's an interesting word that comes up that's sometimes misunderstood, but it's the simple. I mean, we understand what kind of a fool is, right? But it also says simple. And what simple means is basically naive or, or gullible. Um, so when you come across that, don't think that like, oh, if I'm not, if not really complex or a big thinker, I'm, I'm you know. Gonna, my way is going to end in ruin. A simple person is basically someone that's really open to ungodly counsel and easily swayed. Like, oh, well, that sounds good to me. Right? They don't really understand the danger of, uh, of a lot of things that come into their ears. All right? So it's simple is basically open in a bad way, open-minded in a bad way. Sure, well, that sounds good to me. Why don't we try it? All right, so, but there are many other ways 
Um, there are many other ways that we can abandon the fear of God. And primarily, and, this, and Matt talked about this this morning, and this is probably my primary takeaway for tonight. Um, it's fearing things besides God. So one thing is to open up yourself to and, and kind of rebel against wise counsel and listen rather to fools. But another way is to fear and to try and, and discover wisdom and try and discover the way to live. But it's not rooted in a fear of God. It's rooted in a fear of something else. Wisdom is actually found by, first of all, recognizing that you're not God. Right, this is the first step of the fear of the Lord. You're not God. There's a great story in the beginning of Second Kings, before Solomon, during that whole coup, when, they, when those guys that had gotten up on the throne realized that Solomon was on the throne, it says that they feared. They went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Right? That's, you recognize, oh, I put myself on the throne. I'm not supposed to be here. The real guy who's supposed to be on the throne is coming to kill me because I'm, I put myself on the throne. That's, the, that's Psalm 2, the kings of the earth. They, set, they gather together and they conspire together against the Lord. Let's throw off his authority. So wisdom is found by recognizing that there is a God, he's on the throne, and you're not him and it's not your throne. And also realizing that there are many things that you do, there are many ways that you walk in that deface his original purpose for creating. That's another, another aspect of the fear of the Lord. I'm not God. Also, I've been taking dominion. I've been shaping my life. I've been shaping the lives of others. I've been stewarding my stuff in a way actually that, that defaces that. Oh my goodness, what have I done? I have offended the holiness of God. I've offended the goodness of his wisdom, the beauty of his creation. So fearing God means recognizing his terrible holiness. Right? And that's that's a word that you don't hear anymore, but it's it's really what it is. It's it, it puts you into terror. When you recognize the holiness of God, totally surrender to him in reverence and awe. There are many pictures in scripture, and we tend to, uh, we tend to assign that to like an Old Testament, Old Testament understanding of God. But just look, I mean, remember Ananias and Sapphira, right? They were goofing around. They were um, kind of fudging around the corner here and saying, I'm all in, but then uh, not, uh, they, they were being dishonest and lying and being really shady in their dealings with money. And God strikes them dead. And it says, right there in the New Testament church, it says the people feared greatly. Whoa, someone just dropped dead. Because of God. Right? That's, that's the fear. That's an aspect of the fear of God that we don't like to, to talk about much. And the point is that when you refuse to get off the throne, God will come and take you off by force and boot you far away from the throne. When you cling to that, when you, when you will not heed the warning shots, God will take action. 
And that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. All right, so that, that's a little bit about the fear of God. But also, um, when we fear other things, and I, I think that this is, you know, for, for us, this is where we get in trouble most often. We live our lives, and, and fearing is also, you know, it's a, it's a recognition of his holiness, but it's also an embracing of him as the primary reference point for, for everything in life. Proverbs 3 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. So there's the fear of God recognizing and throwing off my rebellion, but also referencing him in all areas of life. And this is where I think we get into trouble. We, there's something else that's the primary reference point for us in our lives. So part of fearing God is desiring to live in a manner that pleases him and honors him. And that's the beginning of wisdom. How do you find wisdom? You get off the throne. You surrender to God. And then you start to ask him about every little thing. This is what Solomon did. He says he was on the altar. He was offering sacrifices to God. I mean, elaborate sacrifices. God says, all right, what do you want? Tell me how to rule. Yes, I love that. Solomon feared God there. So my challenge for us tonight is this. Is this question. What is the overriding reference point in your life? When you are when you are searching for wisdom. And what I mean by wisdom is what should I do about this? How should I approach this particular situation? How should I respond to this person? How should I respond to my child when they do this? How should I respond to my spouse when they do this? How should I respond to my husband when he doesn't do this? (laughs) How should I deal with this person at work? What time should I go to bed? What time should I wake up? I mean, get as practical as you want. There is a reference point for all of that stuff. And that's what you fear. And if it's God, that's great. But here's some things that it could be other than God. The overriding reference point in your life. For some people, it's what others think. In all my ways, I acknowledge what I think other people think about me. And I try and walk a path based on other people's perception of me. There's no wisdom there. You will just cycle in confusion and frustration. Uh, for some people, it's, it's, uh, it's, you really just trust yourself. I mean, other people may have some good things to add, but as long as it makes sense to me, or unless it makes sense to me, 
I got to run it through my own little filter. <laughs> you will never find wisdom that way, right? The, the biblical term. So there's kind of biblical phrases for what other people think. That's fear of man. And scripture talks about the fear of man. And we don't, we don't fear man. We fear God. Trusting in yourself, that's being wise in your own eyes. I am really the only one that I trust to have a grip on the way things go, the way life runs. And really, I run everything through that filter. I mean, ask yourself, this can be a really subtle thing. And it can be especially subtle when you think that it's God, but it's just you. Well, I was talking to God and he told me this. Did he really? <laughs> or was that just your own wisdom kind of percolating in your, in your mind? This gets tricky. This can get really tricky. Uh, for some people, their overriding reference point, their center of gravity, is uh, just the stuff of life, material security. You know? Jesus addresses this. You're, you're anxious about what you're going to eat. What you're going to wear. And you will never, you'll never actually enter into flourishing life if you are dead set on avoiding, you know, dealing with scarcity that I think is there. You're not going to enter into wisdom. You're not going to enter into peace. You're not going to enter into the garden. Uh, for some people, it's winning. Your overriding reference point is win. Be the best. Be better than, or at least be better than them. <laughs> Get a leg up. And the, the biblical phrase for this would just be selfish ambition. I'll do it if it works. I'll do it if it gets me ahead, right? I'll do it if it makes me more profitable or, or, or whatever. I want to win. And there's others, but those are just four that I thought of that, that may be lurking somewhere in your, in your heart. And all of these will ultimately lead away from wisdom. <laughs> they don't lead you toward wisdom. You don't enter into more deeper uh, flourishing life. You end up scraping out a living and it's hard and it's toilsome. Um, you just end up confused. And, you know, in the medical term, I think is failure to thrive when a child just doesn't, <laughs> they don't grow. They just kind of stagnate and they eventually die. Uh, but that's where those forms of fear get us. All right, so that gives us kind of some backdrop of Solomon, of where wisdom fits in the story of Scripture, what it, what it really is getting at. Solomon, as a, as a type of Adam, kind of points us back to the garden, and especially in Proverbs 8 where he says, you know, wisdom is really the ordering principle of creation. For us, wisdom is, uh, the, we didn't even get to the New Testament, but wisdom is Jesus. In the beginning, 
Proverbs says was wisdom. John fills it out for us. In the beginning was the word, the logos. That's the, the ordering principle of life. The word was with God and the word was God. Right? God delighted in him. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? The, the word and the father uh, and the spirit were, they were there. They're the ones that brought it into being. But then also that the, the cross being the wisdom of God. Right? How in the world is it wise for God to become a man? And if you can tell, I'm transitioning into our time of communion. How in the world can it be wise for God to become a man and then die? At, at the hands of foolish men. What does that accomplish? It's actually the deepest wisdom that there is. Right? It's the wisdom that was there before the foundation of the world. The lamb who was slain. The way God was going to get people back into the garden. By himself going outside of the garden. And bearing all of the absurdity of life outside the garden. Becoming a victim to it. So as we come to the table, let's remember Christ, our wisdom. And the cross as the strange wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, or the foolishness of God, what we deem foolishness, which is Christ crucified. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And so we really do have to rely on the fear of God and totally divest ourselves of wisdom in our own eyes. If we're to ever understand life in this crazy world that we live in, if we're ever to understand life as Jesus would live it, um, it, make, it would make no sense in any of these false forms of, of the fear of the Lord. If we're out for material security, well, the cross does, definitely doesn't make sense. Self-sacrifice does, definitely doesn't make sense. Um, so let's remember Jesus and just ask that in this season of, of Proverbs and, and wisdom, that we, we really would come more into line with the wisdom of God that was there from the beginning, before the beginning, and uh, will be there all through eternity. Jesus, thank you that you took on flesh and that you dwelt among us and that we have seen your glory. And Lord, as we come to the table tonight, we search our hearts for uh, anything that does not submit to you, anything that does not acknowledge uh, your authority, your lordship in our lives. Uh, Lord, we want to lay down anything that separates us from you, anything that asserts authority uh, over your rightful authority, God. Lord, we also want to lay down any ways in which we try and set ourselves above one another, any ways in which, Lord, we cling to um, unforgiveness or bitterness. Lord, I think even Solomon knows, the Solomon and, and David know the dangers of bitterness. They know the dangers of unforgiveness. And Lord, it would be unwise for us uh, to harbor any kind of resentment any kind of selfishness, any kind of uh, way of life that is not in line with your perfect way of, of, of love.
So Lord, impart your grace to us in the, in the bread and the cup and by your Holy Spirit. Be present um, in this meal, Lord, and minister your grace to us. We open our hearts to you, Lord. We submit our lives to you. Humble ourselves before you. Say that you are the Lord. Help us, Lord, to uh, put on Christ, to put on wisdom, so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.